today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. He just unpacks how amazing this hope that they have is, and he tells them again and again and again what God has done for them and who God is for them. And then he turns and says, therefore, do this. Now, Peter is going to give us a surprising answer to why we should stop sinning, why we should pursue holiness, how we can pursue holiness. And the answer is this. Holiness is a result of hope. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The Apostle Peter in our text is repeatedly encouraging the church to understand and act upon their hope in the Lord. The Bible says that those who have this hope in Jesus keep themselves pure just as he is pure. As Pastor Ricky continues to teach on the theme of hope in this section of scripture, he'll be explaining that the natural reaction to having hope in Jesus is the desire and power to live a holy lifestyle. If you're not living a godly life, the root issue may be that you doubt who Jesus is. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with part one of his message entitled, Holiness is the Result of Hope. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Hackers expose the information of users on a site, on a website that was specifically designed to connect people who want to have adulterous affairs. There were over 30 million registered users. That means there's a lot of people. It included, by some estimates, over 15,000 addresses of government workers. In other words, people working uh, for the White House or in the military or something like that. One Christian leader estimated that the release of this information would lead to over 400 Christian leaders stepping down. And I'm aware of at least one well-known evangelical figure that as a direct result of this has stepped down from ministry. Now, in the wake of that, I read a blog post from the wife of a Christian pastor. And she describes how she and her husband uh, began writing on the topic of kind of immorality and, and marriage and sin in this area. And after they wrote on it, people started writing to them and sharing their stories of, of this is what happened to me. This is how my marriage was destroyed. 
and she's reading story after story after story. And she, in this blog post, finally, the, the, you could sense there's emotion behind what she's writing. She finally gets kind of to the core of this post and says this, kind of in, in godly frustration. You who keep choosing to sin, you who keep visiting those websites, you who have secret lives, you keep hidden from your friends and your spouses, why won't you stop? Why won't you stop? Now, the question is a good question. Uh, but if we're honest, we could often be asked the same question. Or maybe you've asked the same question. Maybe there's an area of sin in your life. Maybe it's not even this area. But there's an area of sin in your life that you've kind of looked at yourself in the mirror and looked at yourself and said, why won't you stop? Maybe you've been impacted by the sins of others and, and someone close to you has hurt you deeply or has done something that's hurt their family deeply and, and you've thought, why won't you stop? Why won't he stop? Why can't she stop? Why can't I stop? Now, this is a big and complicated question and I can't say everything to answer that question today, but Peter does give us one answer to this question. Now, Peter, he wants to encourage these churches that he's writing to toward holiness, toward godliness, and away from sin. That's one of the purposes of him writing this letter. And so he's just laid out, in kind of in verses 3 through 12, this amazing hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He said, listen, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope. And so he just unpacks how amazing this hope that they have is. And he tells them again and again and again what God has done for them and who God is for them. And then he turns and says, therefore, do this. Now, Peter is going to give us a surprising answer to why we should stop sinning, why we should pursue holiness, how we can pursue holiness. And the answer is this. Holiness is a result of hope. Holiness is a result of hope. There are two sections we're going to be talking about today, uh, the charge Peter gives and then kind of the reasons that he gives. And the charge occurs in verses 13, 14, and 15. Now, by saying, therefore, Peter is kind of pivoting from, here's all that I've told you about your hope, therefore, live in light of your hope. Verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before, here's what I love about Peter. Before he even gives them kind of the application of therefore, he inserts a couple things. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, that phrase is something else in English, but they translated it for you. If you have a different translation, maybe you have kind of the truer translation of what the word-to-word -word correspondence would be. Because if they put the real translation in, for people like me, I would read it and go, that sounds weird. Here's the real translation. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's weird, right? That sounds weird. I think we can all admit that. Sometimes I think when we study the Bible, we, we don't want to admit, like, hey, that's kind of a weird phrase, right? This is a weird phrase. 
It's not a phrase that we normally use, you know? I was just on uh, Tuesday, what were you up to? Oh, man, I was girding up the loins of my mind, and it was a good rest of the day, you know? Like, what? I don't know what, that sounds weird. I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. In the ancient world, to gird up your loins meant literally to take your robe. So in other words, they'd have kind of undergarments, and then they would have kind of a long robe, and when you needed to act or do something, you would take your robe and kind of tuck it into your belt so that you could run or fight or rescue or help or attack or something, right? In other words, something is coming, and so you go, okay, here we go. Like, you, you tuck that robe in so you're ready to run. Now, it's something, I was watching kind of a, somebody had posted a YouTube clip of uh, this Bruce Lee movie where... Uh, I'm not recommending all Bruce Lee movies categorically, et cetera, et cetera. I just saw this clip, and I'm not condoning crazy violence, although it's kind of cool sometimes, but um, the, <laughs> Bruce Lee's pretty cool. He's pretty ripped. And so I, I happen to have a minute, and I watch this clip because I'm thinking, it's a clip where he fights Chuck Norris. I don't know if you've ever seen this. So in this one movie, he fights Chuck Norris. But here's the funny thing. I had like two minutes to kill, so I turned it on, and literally the whole two minutes that I watched was spent with Bruce Lee going, like kicking off his robe, and then going... And then like Chuck Norris like takes off kind of his shirt and then he's like, <sighs> and so they're like not even fighting each other. One of them's facing the opposite way, like meditating or punching or <sighs> doing these things. And Chuck Norris is like ah, kicking. <sighs> and then like, and I'm thinking, I only have like two minutes here. You got to get to the fight. Where's the fight? So I'm like, clicking through it, clicking through it. There's like four minutes of them warming up for the fight. And so finally they turn and face one another and they go, <sighs> right? That's what Peter is talking about. He's saying, get your mind ready, okay? That's what he's saying. Prepare your mind for action. He, he's saying, I want every fiber of your being kind of leaning forward, attentive to what I'm about to say. And then he adds another phrase. He says, um, being sober-minded, meaning clear your mind out from, from what you're going to be eating from dinner for dinner today, uh, how your budget is doing, how your sports team is doing. Clear your mind. I want it clear. I want it focused. I want every fiber of your being leaning forward because I'm about to tell you to do something. So this is obviously a big deal for Peter. This isn't an accidental connection between holiness and hope. He's saying, I'm about to bring these two things together in a way that you need to hear. Are you ready? This is what he tells them to do. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And those two phrases don't just mean um, receive what I'm about to hear, what I'm about to tell you, and they do mean that. They, they mean receive what I'm about to tell you, and with that same kind of intensity, Set your hope fully. Now, this does seem a little strange if you're tracking through 1 Peter. Peter's just told them about the hope of Jesus' return. He's told them about their heavenly inheritance. And Peter restates it here as the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a shorthand kind of way of saying, okay, set your hope fully on all the good things that will happen to you when Jesus returns. Your reward, your inheritance, your joy, your peace, your satisfaction, all of that. Set your hope fully on that. Now, where before he just laid out the hope, here he says, set your hope, okay? You get that? So he's describing the hope for the first part of chapter one, and then he goes, you see that hope? Set yourself on it. 
Now, what does that look like, though? What does it look like to live a life set fully on the hope of Jesus' return? Well, Peter tells us in verse 14, as obedient children, he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What does it look like to set your hope fully on Jesus Christ and his return? It looks like two things, not being conformed to your sin and being conformed to the image of God, of being holy as God is holy. Now, when he says, do not be conformed, the word here, kind of the original word, almost evokes the image of Play-Doh. Does anybody play with Play-Doh when they were kids, right? Where you get the little mold, you get the car, you get the tree, whatever, and you put the Play-Doh on and you squeeze it and you take it away and then you've got a car or a tree, right? He's saying, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold to look like itself. He says, no, you have been born again. You have an amazing future hope. And that means it changes who you are and how you act. So don't be conformed, but be holy. Now, Peter's talking about moral purity, about being unstained by sin. Now, I love how Peter just throws this in. Um, He says, you also be holy in all your conduct. Like, just just in case anyone was thinking on Sunday or, you know, be holy at home, but not at the office, or be holy in public, but not in private. He says, no, 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 be holy in all your conduct, in everything, from brushing your teeth, to getting the kids ready, to going to the office, to running errands, to responding to trial, to responding to when people sin against you, all of it, be holy. He says, you've been born again to a living hope. You've been restored in your relationship to a living God. You should live in a way that honors and reflects God. Track with me here. Every choice between sin and holiness is a choice about where you put your hope. Every choice, every time you stand at the precipice of sin and look at the other side and see godliness and you make a decision, you are partially, perhaps largely making that decision based on where your hope is. If you choose sin, you're saying, I do not trust God that what he will give me is better than the sin in front of me. If you choose holiness, you are saying, I trust God that what he will give me when he returns and I live forever in eternity with him is better than the sin in front of me. Fundamentally, sin is a belief that our good, our happiness, our joy, our life are found apart from God. And fundamentally, godliness is a choice that our good, our happiness, our joys, our peace, our life are found in God. See, the lie that the devil whispered to Adam and Eve was essentially your missing out. God knows that if you take this fruit from this tree, you will become like God. God's holding out on you. 
He hasn't told you everything. There is some good, some life, some happiness, some joy outside of him. And Adam and Eve believed and they ate. And the devil has been using this for thousands of years. But scripture pushes back. Scripture says again and again and again that our life and our happiness and our joy, not, not the fleeting stuff, all right? Not a, I'm not talking about a bowl of ice cream that you eat and you think, oh, that was great. I'm talking about the true, deep, better joys that we long for as human beings. The Bible says, no, 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 that's found in God. Psalm 16 says it like this. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So fundamentally, being a Christian means saying, I will not live like the world or put my hope in the things of the world, but I will live like Christ and put my hope in the things of Christ. You know, recently I read a biography of Chuck Colson. If you know anything about Chuck Colson, uh, maybe you don't know a lot. What you probably would know if you knew anything was that he was one of the people that was arrested and imprisoned for a time in the wake of the Watergate scandal under the presidency of Richard Nixon. Colson um, was once quoted as telling a staffer that in order to get something done, he'd be willing to drive over his own grandmother, right? He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. So this was a pretty tough guy. He was a rising political star. He had an in with the elites, with the powerful of Washington. He wore nice suits. He had lunch at fancy restaurants. But he was caught up kind of in the wake of what Nixon's administration had done. And Colson wasn't even directly kind of involved in the Watergate stuff, but other stuff that was going on in the the, uh, administration implicated him. So as the trial approached for him, he, was, he had a trial date set. As the trial approached for him, he went into despair. And he reached out to a friend, and the friend told him about Christ. And he was at once powerfully and radically converted. And his life was changed. But very soon after that, he had to appear in trial. Now, he had an opportunity, according to the biography that I read, that if he was willing to kind of shade the truth a little bit, to to make things kind of seem a little bit better than they were, to downplay his involvement in some of the actions, he probably could have gotten away. But partially buoyed by his newfound convictions in Christ, he told the truth as plainly as ugly as it was, and went to prison. Now, I want you to imagine what prison would be like for this, this man, Chuck Colson. I mean, he, he's used to being around powerful people every day, and all of a sudden, he's waking up every day in a prison. He doesn't want to be there. He's living for when he gets out of prison. So, obviously, instead of getting caught up in any bad activities or influenced by bad people in prison, he begins sharing the gospel with people. He begins going to to services that are held in prison. And he knew that he was a temporary exile from his own home, from his family, from his wife while he was there. But here's what's surprising. Once he got out of prison, he realized that he was still in exile. 
Once he got out of prison, he realized that his old life filled with powerful people in Washington, all the, the, the brokering and maneuverings, but all of the stuff related to his well-regarded law practice, all of the stuff related to these friends and people and things that he used to care about so much, he realized he didn't care about them anymore. He didn't wake up longing for position anymore. He didn't wake up longing for the things of his old life anymore. He could have gone back to the Washington world. He especially could have made a lot of money writing a juicy tell-all piece about the Nixon administration like a lot of people did. But he wrote a book, and the book was a tell-all about his conversion to Christ. His old life had nothing that he wanted anymore. And he embraced his identity as an exile. That out of prison even, he wasn't home. He was headed home. And he began what's called Prison Fellowship, one of the most powerful outreaches to prisoners in modern history that has gone across the U.S. into many countries in the world, started many other ministries and initiatives, and in essence, Chuck Colson left behind the things of his old life and said, that stuff has nothing for me. I want what only Jesus can give me. And the trajectory of his life was changed. In essence, Peter is encouraging us to do the same. He's encouraging us to look at our old life and say, don't get re-squeezed into the stuff of your old life. For Colson, it was, don't get re-squeezed back into those political maneuverings, those power struggles, that money, the glamour. Don't get re-squeezed into that. For you, it, it maybe is something else. Don't fall back into the sins that you've been rescued from. But do set your hope in Jesus. Do begin to live in such a way that doesn't make sense to people around you. When, when Chuck Colson began doing this, the people, some of the people around him thought, this is insane. What is he doing? He's left all of these powerful things. He could easily get back into that world. He has a, I mean, he had an amazing mind. He has an amazing knack for this kind of thing. He threw it away and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend my time in prisons telling people about Jesus. He set his hope on God. So here's my question for you today. Would someone look at your life and see a life set fully on the grace that will appear when Jesus returns? Would someone look at your life and think, man, there is something unexplainable about this person. They act like this world doesn't have anything that they want. They act like they're living for something else that I don't understand. That's Peter's charge. Set our hope fully on the return of Jesus Christ. But then Peter gives us two reasons in particular to support kind of this charge. Peter made his point, but he wants to underline it and not just underline it once, he wants to underline it kind of twice. When you're reading a book and you think that's good and then sometimes you underline it and say, that's really good, yes. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hoping God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. The book of First Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Counter-Cultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. 
Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio. Open.